media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Nehemiah 10. I realize we do have some guests with us today because of Mother's Day, and, and we're so glad that you're here. We've been going through uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is one of those interesting books that when you start out, there's a lot of action going on. They're building a wall. There's uh, these opponents that come against them that are kind of trying to defeat them and the purpose of building back this wall. And so you, there's just a lot of like leadership kind of things that you can gain out of the first couple chapters of Nehemiah and are very applicable to uh, life, business, other things like that. But as we get into the Word of God, as we go through Nehemiah, we find out that this is really about a people, a people that had not been abandoned by God, even though they had abandoned God. And even though God disciplined them and, and allowed others to take them in, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, to take them captive and exiled them into foreign lands, he did not abandon them. This is all about God's faithfulness. And the hope that they have as they come back now to Jerusalem and as they build this wall. We started a couple of weeks ago with this section, probably about uh, chapter 7 forward, um, that we're really talking about revival here. What does it mean to be revived as the people of God? And one of the best quotes that I've ever heard on revival, James Edwin Orr, uh, who wrote, I think, like 45 books and a lot of those about repentance and revival. And one of his best quotes is that revival is the Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the lives of the people of God. And that's really been our focus for the last couple of weeks as we've gone through because that's where we've uh, kind of God is taking them. We saw that the people completed the wall in really a record time. That was pretty amazing. Then afterwards, they assembled together for the reading of the word. And we said that was pretty amazing too because uh, if we do our math right, they stood there all day long as the red, as, uh, uh, Ezra read from the, the word, and it was kind of amazing. We've gone, you know, that makes our uh, hour-long service kind of seem really short when we said that they stood the entire time. And that wasn't just one time. This focus on the word brought conviction to their heart. They began to see their failures and their sins as they went into the word of God, and yet it didn't leave them just there. Even though they dressed themselves in, remember last week it said that they had sackcloth and ashes, Nehemiah 9.1. Now on the 24th day of the month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. What in the world was, you know, I thought they were so supposed to be celebrating that the wall had been built. But as they got into the word of God, it began to convict them, not only of their own sinfulness, of, but how their fathers and their parents and their grandparents had left all these promises of God. And so what did they do? They, they began to fast. They just go without food. Not just so that they could lose weight, but so that they could have that spiritual inflection upon their minds and their hearts. They put on sackcloth. And we said last week that, you know, just pretend like you were wearing burlap underwear. How uncomfortable that would be. And that's kind of what it was. It was just very rough and itchy. And they, they did this on purpose. God didn't put this upon them. No, this is their response as they realize their sinfulness and their disobedience in the past. And then it said that they began to weep and they put earth on their heads. They would take the dust of the earth. All of these were signs of, of a sorrow over their sins. And remember last week we said that the confession, simply to, to, to live a life of confession, 
That what biblical confession is, is simply telling the truth about our sin. Simply telling the truth about who God is and who we are. See, when we tell the truth about who we are, we will see the truth of God. We just sing a song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And that really could have been penned out of chapter 9. And, and really, what we're going to study in chapter 10 today is that as they think about their own disobedience, what they really do focus on is so the, the faithfulness of God, that God did not abandon them. That same is true today. That God does not abandon us in our disobedience. No, he brought his son, his only son who is perfect in every way, so that when we put our faith and trust in the work of Christ, and the work of Christ alone, what Cadence today said, yes, I trust my salvation only based on what Jesus did, not my good works, not my attempts, but solely on what Christ has done. And salvation comes to us, folks. Truly, uh, from death to life, from blind to see. And now the nation of Israel, as they focus on this, they have this time of confession. And it's honest and it's earnest. As they tell the truth about their own sinfulness and disobedience. But God does not leave them there. Now if we go back to the very last verse of Nehemiah 9. Look at the very last verse. Verse 38. Now this follows a very long prayer of Ezra. And during that prayer of Ezra that we looked at last week, he's really kind of going from Genesis up to like the first five books of the Bible, just the story of the people of God. And he's confessing the truth. God, you were, you were always faithful, but we were disobedient. Now look what happens in verse 38 of chapter 9. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing And on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Here they are, sackcloth and ashes. They're they're in this uh, repentance mode. They're sorrowful over their sins. They're confessing. They're telling the truth. Do they stay there? No. God brings them up out of that. And out of that, they want to be obedient now. And so what do they do? They said, we're going to write down a covenant that we make with you. Now, we have to realize, okay, this is Old Testament. This is under the Old Covenant. We now live in the New Covenant, and Christ has totally completed that. But their actions are not trying to pay back God. No, out of their sorrow for their sin and seeing God's faithfulness comes a desire and a thirst for obedience. Do you understand that? Because if we stop that cycle short... And we just say, okay, I'm, I'm, man, I'm such a bad person, or this is what God has done for me, but look what I've done for him. If we stop right there, folks, we don't get the fullness of the gospel. What we have is a lot of guilt, and, and it can even be true, and, and that we truly do feel bad about our sins, and, and there's a, a very healthy and spiritual and right part of that. But it doesn't stop there. Why? Because we are such good people? No, because he's such a faithful God. And so what do the people do? They said, out of our confession, we want to live holy lives. We want to walk in obedience. For generations, our, our fathers, they, they were distant from your commands, but, but now that we come back to your commands, we, we want those for our lives. And so what do they do? They, they put a firm covenant in writing. Please understand, this is not a teacher telling the student to go write, I'm sorry, a thousand times on the board. That's not what God is doing here. God has not told them, hey, guys, y'all write this down. 
that you're going to be better. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I hit my sister. I'm sorry that I took an extra cookie. I'm sorry that... This isn't God giving them something to go to the blackboard and, and or the, the, the board and, and write on. Folks, this is their response when they've been in the Word of God. Remember now, for three chapters, they've been exposing themselves to the Word of God. They had not heard the Word of God and for like ever. And when they hear the Word of God, it doesn't bring death. No, it brings conviction, but it brings life. Remember what we said last week? I hope that you paint this Picture in your head that you just walk every day. That when you wake up every day, tomorrow morning, picture yourself as a person crossing a long, dry desert and that the Word of God is that cool cup of water. That you may thirst for it. That you know this is how I survive going across this desert is the Word of God. And the Spirit of God enabled me to have life in the midst of pretty stressful conditions. This is our hope. And so what do they do? They, they begin to, uh, uh, they write this covenant and God's not forcing them to do that. It's something that's coming from their heart. And, and as we uh, really celebrate Mother's Day today, isn't that kind of every mom's desire? Remember last week we said, do you have a special rule that if your kids tell you the truth about it, even if they, in confession, if they tell you the truth, that not that they get bonus points or brownie points, but it's kind of like, okay, what we really want you to do is recognize that you did something wrong. And so you're not going to be in as much trouble if you tell the truth. And if I remember correctly, every one of you as parents said, yes, that's kind of an unwritten rule in our house. Just tell us the truth. Now, why? Because you know that one of the parts of maturity and maybe not doing that incorrect thing again is realizing that it was wrong. And in that truthfulness and that confession that that's a step of maturity in the right direction. That's what the people of Israel have done. They've told the truth about their sin and in doing so they've recognized the truth about God. He is holy and he is faithful. And I think every mother would want that. That instead of sending your son or your daughter to the blackboard to to write a thousand times, I'm sorry I hit my sister. I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry for whatever it is. I'm sorry that I backed off. I mean, isn't there something that all of a sudden attitude is everything just about? One of the phrases I despised growing up in my immature understanding as a six-year-old, eight-year-old, 18-year-old, whatever it might have been. Well, it's not what you said, it's... And then all of a sudden you become a father. You become a parent. And you get it. For the first time, you're going, okay, now I understand. And the very thing that you said, I will never say this to my kids, you say it every single day, whether inside or verbally. Why? Because all of a sudden you understand that it's not just... The action, it's not just kind of, you know, the words, it's all about the heart. They confess. And now they said, we want to make a covenant. We want to write it down. And God blesses them, folks, because he sees that it's a repentance. It's a, it's a change in heart. They're not just saying, okay, 
yeah, we could go do these things to, to kind of try to make up for our sinfulness. This is not making up for their sinfulness. No, they're simply coming and confessing, and they want to live a life that is holy and, and pleasing to God, obedient to the things that he's done. I mean, might as well, what would you do if little Johnny or little Sally came in one day and confessed that they were wrong, tears in their eyes, and then pulled out a piece of paper that they had written, and they presented that to you, and it said, I will not talk back anymore. I'm sorry. Okay. I don't know a single parent that would say, well, you know, that's really not sufficient. You know, I'm not, I'm not seeing any brokenness. No, you see total brokenness there. And it was voluntary. You didn't say, now go in your room and write a letter to me and, and, and say you're sorry. No, it wasn't prompted by a request that you demanded. No, out of the brokenness of their heart, they come to you. They recognize the truth of their sin. They come and they say, mom, dad, I'm sorry. And, and I wrote you this card. And I'm trying to make a commitment that I'll never do that again. Oh my goodness. That's a win, guys. In the parenting world, that's a win. And in the spiritual world, that's a win. That's a victory. When you and I, not left just in that sackcloth and ashes, but when we rise up and we say, okay, God, I desire obedience. The Bible calls this repentance. The biblical word for this action and this attitude is called repentance. And true repentance isn't just stopping of the wrong, but it's a commitment to start living what is right. The actual word that we get this from to repent is a change of mind. And with that change of mind comes then a change of heart. Would you say that truly for somebody to write, one of your children, little Johnny, little Sally, for them to say this is wrong is one thing. And is that a victory? No. But to say not only is this wrong, but here's the right thing. Then instead of hitting my sister, I I really want to love my sister and serve my sister. And after they pick you up off the floor and after you had fainted from hearing that, you said, this is exactly what we're trying to teach. A respect that you would have brother and sister or sisters and brothers. Folks, it's not just about the action, but it's about the heart. And the people here have a changed heart. Look at verse 28 and 29. Again, cleverly avoiding all those names. There in the first part of Nehemiah. What that is, this long list is all the leaders, and they all signed this covenant. And then their families did too. I mean, it starts with Nehemiah right there. But look what it says. Nehemiah 10, 28, 29. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land of the law of God, their wives their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. What does that mean? 
And you start with Nehemiah. You go back to verse 1 and it says that the names of Nehemiah, he's the first one to sign. And Ezra does and all these families, all these leaders. But now it says that all the rest of the people that had understanding and knowledge, they respond. They said, we want to live obedient lives. And what do they focus on? They said, okay, we want to go back and the commandments that God originally gave us, we want those to be fresh and new in our hearts. Very, very important pause here. Very important time out. Please hear this. They are not gaining righteousness with a holy God because they make a commitment to do right. This isn't a way of kind of paying God back. Because this is a trap that oftentimes we can fall into. That somehow, because of our disobedience, because we've kind of failed in an area, that we come to God and go, okay, God, I will do this to make this right. Have you ever had at least that notion? God, I'll do this right thing so that I can cross off this wrong thing. That's not how it works. Thank God. That's not how it works. Because what if I'm 75 years old before I come to this understanding? Do I have to live to be 150? For all those wrong things, I have to go out and do a right thing? This is not payback. This is not, okay, we'll do something good for you, God, because we did something wrong before, and somehow these kind of, just kind of make each other a race. No. Folks, we cannot gain righteousness by doing right. Why would we want to do right? Why are they wanting to do right? Because they realize that in all of their unfaithfulness, God has been faithful. As they go through this story, you go back in chapter 9 and read Ezra's prayer. God, this is what we did, but you remained faithful and you did this and this and this. And so they're not trying to make things right by performing for God or doing good things. No, they're doing good things. They want to live righteous and holy and obedient lives out of their love for God. Out of, because they appreciate, okay, God, because you didn't abandon us, we just, you're a great God. I promise you guys, one is a works mentality. One is a grace mentality. One follows biblical teaching. One is anti-biblical. Because it puts all the rightness on our shoulders of responsibility. And, and you know who would have hope if it was up to us to make things right with the Holy God? None of us here and none of us in humanity. Our only hope is Jesus Christ. The perfect one for the imperfect. The righteous one for the unrighteous. Well, Bobby, man, it's Mother's Day. Why preach all this confession and sin and unrighteousness and and all these things? Number one, it's the text that we come to, and we're going to be faithful to the text. And number two, I don't know a greater love story to share with you today than this story. That in the midst of our rebellion, guys... God did not abandon you. He sent his only son, his perfect son, to die in our place. It truly is the most loving story that I could ever share on any day, and even on a Mother's Day. What we see here is a heart that is made right 
because of the conviction of, of the word. And they make a commitment to the right things out of the acknowledgement and out of the appreciation of God's faithfulness in spite of their own unfaithfulness. Again, go back to Nehemiah 9.38. I mean, isn't that what they say? Look at the first phrase there. Because of all this. What's all this? What just happened right before they say this? What's the preceding verses that we looked at last week? Ezra's prayer. And he would tell, in that prayer, he would confess, here's where we were disobedient, but God, here's where you were faithful. Here's all the miracles that you did. Here's how you opened up the the sea so that we could walk across on dry land. And Pharaoh's army was caught behind. The whole prayer that, uh, that Ezra prays is looking at the faithfulness. And they said now, because of all this, what? Because of your goodness, God, and your faithfulness, we want to live holy lives. In fact, we want to write it down. We want to make a covenant with you. Again, please understand, true repentance with God is not doing some good things to cross off some bad things. You could never win that, guys. I promise you, you are not that good. And I don't say that to hurt feelings. I say that in the full confession of what the Bible teaches us. And so do you really want it to be dependent upon you to make sure that you do a good thing for every wrong thing you've done? No, God sends a Savior. And so true repentance is is not just, okay, we're going to try to cross off the, the bad with some good things. No, true repentance is realizing the gift of what God has done for us. And now we in the New Testament age, we get to look back and we see the sacrifice of God's Son. And so now we can live these appreciative and obedient lives in response to this gospel. Look at Nehemiah 10, verse 30 and 31. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take our daughters for our sons, or their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them or Sabbath day or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the uh, exaction of every debt. Uh, what are these things? These are all things that had been previously mentioned as part of the uh, the way that they were going to be a called out people. God had, you could go back and find with everything that they're saying, you could go back to Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and you could find verses that God said, okay, now you're a called out people, and so here's the way that I want you to live. Uh, for example, when it says, do not marry the daughters of this people and do not give your sons. Folks, that's, that wasn't, he wasn't saying, okay, don't, you know, marry somebody from another land. No, it was all because of the spiritual condition. We can go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. It says, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. It was all a spiritual condition. This has been taken so out of place. Well, didn't the Bible say that? No, the Bible doesn't say that. What does the Bible say? That as we go to marry, the Bible does say that if you're a believer, marry a believer. And it doesn't apologize for that. 
Folks, that has nothing with race or ethnic background or anything. That has everything to do with spiritual condition. But that's just an example there where all of a sudden they said, we commit ourselves to these things. Are they making up new things to do for God? No. All they're doing is going back to the word of God, things that had been broken by their fathers and fathers before them, and say, we recommit ourselves to God's truth. It's a really important truth. You get in the business of trying to pay back God by by living a holy life, you will always come up short. You go live a holy life out of the appreciation, the affection, just the joy because of God's faithfulness to you, and that's a very freeing life. Moms, it's Mother's Day. What's more desirable for you? Little Johnny comes up and says, okay, I'll rub your back since I disobeyed you. Or, Mom, I I promise to tell the truth from now on. That that may be not a good example. I think there may be some moms who are going, back rub? (laughs) Little Johnny can repent tomorrow. Just do the back rub. Come on. I mean, do you get the spirit of that, though? Does little Johnny have to pay you back, Mom? Dad? Or is the greatest joy that you can have as a parent says, you know, Dad, you told me that this was wrong. Mom, you told me that this was wrong. And I didn't realize, but now I'm recognizing the truth. And I want to live obediently because I recognize this is truth. That's what they're doing now. They, They said, yeah, we abandoned you, but now that we've been reading your word... We see that you are a faithful, faithful God. Now, from this, guys, will God discipline his children even now in the church age, even in the, in the age of the gospel? Will God discipline us? You go read Hebrews and it says he disciplines you because he loves you. But does God just kind of discipline you? for the sake of disciplining you with no end result in mind. Hebrews 12.11, and we'll finish here. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Amen? When God disciplines and corrects you, does it seem painful? Those are true words right there. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But, but later... It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained from it. I mean, mom's dad, is that your desire today for your children? Do you send them to to the board to write, I'm sorry, I'm sorry a a thousand times? Or would one of your greatest joys that in the midst of their rebellion and in the midst of their disobedience that they would come to you Broken hearted, truly broken. So I, I, I'm so sorry, Mom. And I want to I want to live righteously because you didn't abandon me in my disobedience. That's what's happening here with the nation of Israel. They proclaim and confess their sin. 
They looked to God in all of his faithfulness through the generations, how he had not abandoned them. Did he discipline? Yes. He allowed them to, to go to a foreign land to be exiles. And now he's called them back to, once again, be the people of God. Grace, 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 and grace. Faithfulness of God. And now, out of the response of this faithfulness, they said, I just want to live a holy life unto you, God. I just want to live a, a life in obedience. This brings great joy to our Father. Spiritually, theologically, guys, Second Corinthians 5.21, all of our sins cast on Christ, all of his rightness, righteousness, you know, now imputed to us. Theologically, it's done. But now as we practically live out this Christ life, it's repentance of sin, but it doesn't end in sackcloth and, and ashes. It turns into joyful living. So, okay, God, you were right. I tell the truth about my sin. I tell the truth about your word. And now will you give me by your spirit the ability to live a life of obedience? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, as we follow this book of Nehemiah, and Father, we see the people of God. We've seen about every kind of emotion, every kind of action, every kind of thought that could be possible. And Father, today as we see them coming to a place where they say, okay, we want to write down, we want a covenant with God. And we want to live obedient lives. Father, in one way we could take this very wrong. And Father, we could somehow in our mind think that it's up to us to somehow pay for past sins. That if we do two good things for this run, wrong thing that somehow that's going to all work out Father thank you for Jesus because Father we could have never worked it out Father we can never be good enough we can never pay back and so Father that's not what you asked for you simply Father out of your love and your grace and your faithfulness to us Father you clothe yourself in flesh and you dwell among us let a perfect life died on the old rugged cross three days in a tomb to rise again to have victory over sin, death, and the grave. And Father, today, that is our answer for sin. But because of your faithfulness, Father, will you call us into obedient lives? Father, you would call us into holy living? You've enabled us by your spirit to do so. You've given us direction in your word, Father, to guide us and correct us. Now, Father, in response to your faithfulness, your grace, the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, Father, help us, the people of God. Father, to come to you and live obedient lives. And we don't have to write it down in the covenant, Father. Christ has made a new covenant. And we rest in that. But today, Father, we thank you. And we praise you. Because great is your faithfulness, Father. And we pray this in the hope that is Christ. Amen.
Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.